0: The role of the modern-day pastor and ministry leader is changing. More and more pastors around the world today are ministry leaders who are doing multiple jobs and wearing multiple hats. They are bivocational or co-vocational leaders. They may be pastors looking for creative ways to use their church or staff to create income and revenue for sustainability. They may be ministry leaders who are looking for ways to launch for-profit initiatives or integrate innovation into their organization. They may be those who want to do missions globally and find creative ways to create sustainability. Or they may be marketplace leaders who are called to stay in the marketplace, but want to be part-time pastors, lay pastors, start ministries or nonprofits. This is the age of a new ministry leader. They wear different hats and do different things. They are technologically savvy and global. They are who God is using to make an impact in cities and communities around the world. This is the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader podcast, and these are their
1: stories. Well, hello, everyone. Today, I get a chance to talk to an old friend, Nancy Beach, who I first known from her days at Willow. When I read all her books and followed her, and a new friend, Samantha Beach, Kylie. How are How are you both?
2: We're
1: doing, doing well. Right?
2: Thanks yeah. for having us. We're excited to be with you today.
1: Hey, Nancy, I'm going to start off with you. What are you up to these days? Uh, I read that you are a leadership coach with the Slingshot Group on the teaching team at Soul City Church here in Chicago. What does that look like on a day-to-day basis for you?
2: Well, every week is different, which I love, um, but I've been coaching both individuals and also some teams. Just got back from working with a a staff team in Ohio, and, and I go to various places and try to help them improve their culture. Um, help leaders flourish in a variety of ways. I've helped a few churches with succession planning and uh, some who are facing other kinds of transitions. So it's been a good season of mentoring for me. And then I still do some teaching. I'm not on staff at my church, but I'm one of the teaching pastors and I, I'll be teaching this Sunday. So it's it's been great to invest in the next generation.
1: Very good. What are you gonna be teaching this Sunday about?
2: I am teaching, we got to pick any passage in the Bible we wanted to okay. teach on. And I'm doing John chapter 21, when Jesus has breakfast with his
1: disciples. Very good. Very good. Samantha, what about yourself? You and I are talking about, we were just talking about your transition from Austin. Now you're on your way to Raleigh, North Carolina. Talk to me a little bit about what you're up to.
3: Yeah. Well, I was an artist before I was ever in ministry. Still am an artist. And so um, there's a church in Raleigh, Church on Morgan, that is all about using the arts and beauty and storytelling to better understand and express God's love. And so I'm gonna go be a part of their team as an associate pastor and looking forward to that new adventure.
1: When you mentioned artists, was it more in the area of writing, the theater or uh, music?
3: Uh, Writing and theater primarily. Yeah, I'm a playwright and an actor as well.
1: Uh, Before we start, Nancy, at what point did you realize that your daughter had a passion for theater and music and the arts?
2: I think she's about two or three years old. Uh, she was doing productions in our basement from the time she was very little and corralling her younger sister to be a part of all of those productions. So yeah, it started very, very young.
1: Yeah. So in some sense, it was less math and sciences. And for, for you, it was always just the creative arts, Samantha?
3: Yes. My dad wonders where all his genes went. He's the only left brain person in our family. <laughs>
1: Uh, look, Samantha, I built cell towers for a living for about 10 years. I love chemistry. I love history. <laughs> that was my world growing up.
3: Well, I have a lot of respect for people who can do that. And thank goodness you exist.
1: <laughs> uh, Nancy, for you, I think a lot of times when, when you made that transition from working in the church to now a consultant, how hard was that a change and now, are you seeing the same problems that you had to deal with formerly when you were working at Willow, or are those problems changing uh, in the last couple of years? I, I definitely with the, the fact that we had COVID.
2: Yeah, right. Um, well, first of all, what I most miss about being on a team at a church, in a consistent way day to day, is the community aspect and the consistent team. I do miss that. I had twenty years of building a team that are still really close friends and. Um, so that that would be the part that i that I do miss. But what I'm enjoying is coming alongside a variety of churches, um, various denominations, some de- non-denominational, and some nonprofits too, by yeah. the way. And I come alongside them and try to give fresh eyes to whatever it is they're dealing with right now, um bring another another lens or another perspective um, to it. And as for whether the um, issues have shifted, some of them, I think, are, going to happen forever. You know, some of the issues that people deal with in terms of conflict resolution and getting along and um, people who are trying to find what their zone of genius is and and adjust their job description to really fit who God made them to be, growing in self-awareness, all those things I think were a part of my ministry years ago and are going to forever be issues for people, um, particularly growing in relational intelligence um, as a leader. So those things haven't changed. But, you know, if, if any of us hear the words pivot and reinvent one more time, we're going to throw up, I know. But with COVID, um, <laughs> that is what everybody has had to do. And talk about um, a, a, a season of life for many of these young leaders that has them, some of them so burnt out and so exhausted because they had to figure out a whole new way of doing ministry. So obviously, we're all hoping things have stabilized and are going to. You know revert a bit i'm not sure they'll ever get completely back to normal but the positives just real quickly i think COVID did cause us to ask a lot of questions about how we do what we do and whether yeah. anything needs to change so that's that part's been yeah. good
1: yeah yeah samantha i'm 45 years old so in some sense i'm right at that point where i just saw i grew up with the mega church and everything like that but i'm still young enough where i spent many years about 18 years working with high school and college students Mm. for you, you're a lot younger than both of us, is how did, even with your church, how was it hard, was it hard to pivot during COVID? Was there some, what were the struggles that you, as well as the church, had to deal with during that period of time?
3: Yeah, well, so I grew up in a mega church that my mom helped to start, and um, then after college, um, sought out kind of a different expression um, at a small, much smaller Methodist church, and So for us, and I know for many churches um, that are smaller and, and don't have as many resources, it was very difficult. We we were not staffed to go online or yep. to capture our service with video. Um, we didn't have the right equipment, and it was has continued to be a challenge. I don't know that we ever solved it. I, the The nice thing about being part of a smaller organization was we just kind of got to kept trying, got to keep trying things. Um, but it was very challenging for, especially on a small team.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your book, Next Sunday, An Honest Dialogue About the Future of the Church. How did both of you guys, who came up with the idea and how did you guys get started writing this book?
2: Well, in the the fall of 2019, I was asked to speak to a group of uh, executive Christian publishers about the future of the church, which I thought was a pretty scary assignment. And who knows, uh, really um, very daunting Um, But I gave a a message, gave it a lot of thought. And then afterwards, a few of them said, you know, would you ever want to write a book about it? And I didn't have a whole lot of energy around that idea until I mentioned it to Samantha. And as we talked, she said, well, what if we did something together? And that really energized me. I was like, okay, that that I could do. And uh, the basic premise of the book is uh, I don't intend to represent all baby boomers, but I'm a baby boomer. Samantha's a millennial and we've got two different generations and perspectives looking at the future of the church
1: and uh that that's really where we started. Yeah. Samantha, when you heard this idea of the book from your mom, what got you excited? What was it, for you it was saying why well, this is why I want the older generation to understand or it was was it giving a voice to your generation? What was it that motivated mm-hmm. you?
3: You know, it was that. I mean, I'm I like my mom i don't claim to speak for all millennials but i um i've been having conversations with my mom about the church for as long as i can remember and i think what made me excited was i don't claim in any way to have it all figured out i think sometimes young people can act like we know how everything should be and we want to change everything and i think i a lot of value in many of the things that have been passed down from my mom's generation and how they did church and so what it was exciting to me was what would it look like to have a conversation with someone who has a lot more experience and wisdom in actually doing church being church um to have a conversation about what we should hold on to what we might let go of and what might continue to evolve
1: yeah nancy and samantha i grew up in a chinese church in the community of chinatown And so as Chinese people, the older generation always felt like we're the older, we're the elders. People just need to listen to us and submit to their elders. I kept telling them all the time, I work with younger high school students who don't really care about this stuff and college Mm -hmm. students. They want you to talk to them like adults. They want you to, to apologize. They want you to process. But a lot of times the older generation couldn't understand it because that's how they had to live. But then the younger ones had no patience with them. But how did you get those guys working? And so for you guys, what were some of the things, Nancy, I'll I'll start with you, that you guys agreed on, but what were some of the things that you guys had to wrestle through?
2: Well, we started by asking, what are some of the distinctives that we think are going to be vital for churches if they're going to thrive in the future? And there's, you know, everybody would come up with a different list. We came up with seven of them. And, uh, you know, you might argue that we missed some, that's fine, but we picked seven and decided to go for it. And so I'll just um, start with the first one and say, we really value community, both of us. There's no disagreement about that, that that human beings are longing to be connected in meaningful ways to one another. But I do think how you play out or how you build community might be different for my generation and her generation. So, so I think sometimes it was more about the strategy might be different than the value
1: itself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, speaking community, uh, this podcast is going to be shared with some of our younger leaders from all different parts of the world. And so a lot of times I'm so used to sitting there, having a speaker come and then from that point speak for about 45 minutes, whatever it is, all of our surveys, they were all giving it low remarks. They said, and the feedback kept coming. We want more fellowship time, I'm saying, so you want less of the teaching and the speakers, but don't you want to just hear from what they have to say? No, no, no. we want to talk to each other. That yeah. was always the feedback, yeah, doesn't surprise me, Samantha, what are you seeing in terms of community when you guys say you guys agreed on community, what does that community look like for you in your generation as you look at it?
3: Hmm. Well, I think that many of my friends have gotten um we're experiencing a new form of community through our virtual engagement right now. And it's highly segmented. You know, our, our social media points us towards people who think and act just like us. And we can find people in our exact season of life very quickly who have our same habits and rituals. And so to me, the, the distinctive of church is that it puts us in community with people we wouldn't otherwise speak out or may never Mm -hmm. otherwise bump into. And some of my most cherished relationships inside of church, especially this last church I was at a part of, were with people in totally different chapters of life than me, with an an older couple who became some of our best friends in Austin and mentors to us, and even some of the younger high schoolers that I got to help mentor. Those relationships to me are what make church so distinctive. And so I think sometimes churches um, hurry to kind of put us into those same groups with people who are just like us, you know, people who just got married or people who... Um are thirty to thirty five and liked sports. And I wish there were more opportunities to for intergenerational community to to yeah. build because I think I actually think many millennials are longing
1: for that. yeah. but Nancy, even in terms of what she says, intergeneration, but I think a lot of times the one thing I've seen, especially when older and younger, when the older people get together, you, I find you have to t- remind them you don't need to talk the entire time. They feel like they, they want to impart their wisdom. And I totally understand. They have great moments. We want the young generation to hear our mistakes, our wisdom. Yes, but you could do that by asking questions and not necessarily just sharing and t- talking the entire time. It is for you, what do, what do you see in, in terms of uh, community in your regards? Well,
2: I think that's absolutely true. And no matter what age we are, we've got to learn to be better listeners. That's for sure. Um, We all just love to hear ourselves talk. Um, But what I found from the younger generation, uh, the church I'm a part of now, whenever we leave on Sunday, my husband often says, we are the oldest people here. And I'll say, (laughs) well, maybe not quite, but I think it's close. It's a very young church. And one of the things that I rejoice in is the humility, honestly, and the openness of these young people to learn. They're they're longing for, I I had several ask, you know, would you ever consider going to coffee with me? Or, you know, some would even ask for the big M word mentoring me, you know, and, and uh, I think there's a humility in that. And I think there's a longing of younger people to find that wisdom, but you're right. We can't talk all the time. The very best thing anybody can do. And I've learned this as a coach
1: is ask great questions. And that's what I try to do. You want to be that person, right? Who talks twenty percent of the time, but is listening eighty percent of the time. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. Nancy and Samantha, what was another one that you guys agreed on? Uh, there was community. Anything? What was another one that you all agreed on?
3: Well, my mom and I both share a great passion for what happens when we gather on Sundays, and that was interesting to write about during COVID. And that yeah. chapter went through several rounds of revision, um, but we stuck with our title, which was "You Had to Be There." And COVID really challenged us to think deeply about that. And I'm grateful for the ways that churches have um, become more accessible, because I think there will always, COVID revealed, there have always been people who need that, who, for whom it was too difficult to come in person. But for those of us who can, I think my mom and I both agree that um, great attention being paid to cultivating an experience from start to finish, um, that's thoughtful, that includes participation, that includes moments of wonder and meaning um, that we were really aligned on. We both agree
1: about that. With that said, how does that look like during this time, post COVID when things are getting, does that look different than what it was pre COVID?
2: Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went uh, back in person. I mean, I'd done it before then too, but I remember uh, this Sunday in particular, I was in person uh, at my church and uh, during the worship time, I I just felt moved because the room wasn't full. We were we're not back to to normal yet, yeah. but to be with actual humans in that room singing together was so much more meaningful to me than being in my pajamas on the couch, uh, streaming. You know, it it there's just something fundamentally different. And right yeah. before the gathering, I uh, ran into a young woman that I haven't seen in, in many months. And she's struggling with some health issues. And we had a great conversation. And I just thought, this doesn't happen when I stay home. you yeah. know. So again, I agree with Samantha. For some people, um, the online thing's always going to need to be an option. But that's a rare person. Most people, we could theoretically get in the car or take public transportation or walk or whatever to a corporate gathering and i think there's something to that there's something about the texture of it that's very different when you're in the room
1: got it got do you still see the model i mean we're so used to worship speaker all of that do you think that's still going to stay the same nancy samantha
3: i think we both make a case in the book for shaking it up a little i i and the and the um how it, especially for those of us who go every week, what it does to you when you walk in and the service starts in a brand new way, or it has it, it, we move away from the template of two songs, announcements, speakers, yeah. two songs. And, you know, I, I was always passionate about that and doing things different every week. And I will say, then I joined a ministry team during COVID and discovered that Sundays happen an awful lot and a <laughs> template um, makes things a lot easier. So I empathize, especially with, with teams that that struggle to reinvent the wheel every week. But I think every once in a while, shaking it up, and I think the arts can do this in a beautiful way, um, introducing yeah. a new element, a new way to express mm. or ask a question um, or engage with people sitting next to you, um, can only serve us.
1: Yeah, Nancy, what about yourself?
2: Well, uh, I think honestly that we're kind of in a rut in most yeah. churches with worship. In fact, my husband's very irritated when we use worship as the synonym for music, because worship is so much more Mm -hmm. than, you know. um, And so I have a deep hope that we are going to remember that music is, is one wonderful pathway, but it's not the only pathway. And there are other, other communication forms, particularly storytelling and more visual experiences and, exercises and engagement. There's a service, um, was it Easter Samantha, where you set up uh, a long, she, she rearranged the whole room in her church and tell them about that one, because I I just thought it was delightful.
3: Yeah. We just wanted people to see each other and not just the people on stage. So we, we, and we, and we knew the communion moment was going to be the heart of our service. So we ran a long table down the center of the room and people sat on either side of it and everything centered around that table. And, you know, from the moment people walked in, it was like, oh, this isn't the same place or you're up to something. And it just turns off your autopilot a little bit. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, so what would you say? I I have lunch with a pastor over in the suburb of Illinois, Glenview, and he said to me, Tommy, I'm even thinking about dismantling the Sunday service. And I just want our guys to serve the community and maybe every month we'll get together and have a picnic and we'll just do it that way. Nancy, what would you say to that?
2: Well, I think it's an option for sure. I wouldn't say you know, bad idea. Um, but I do think sometimes we're we're assuming it's like all or nothing with all these things, you know, yeah. and we're we're uh, maybe overreacting a little bit to the online experience that people are having. Um, but you mentioned serving the community, and that's a chapter that both of us also had big, yeah. big passion for which is, has to do with what happens in your church Monday through Saturday, you know, right. what's going on throughout the week. And we both feel very strongly that unless your church is making, having some kind of impact on the very real and practical needs within your community, uh, why are we even there? You know, it's the way that I think people will know we are extending God's love when we actually serve. And so, uh, you know, we've, we've had, um, great delight
1: in discovering some of the churches that are really doing a good job with that. Yeah. Let me switch gears a little bit. In the book, uh, Samantha, you mentioned the Cigna Loneliness Index Survey released in 2020 found that 71% of millennials and nearly 78% of Gen Z reported feeling lonely, a significant uptake from previous generations. Why do you think that's the case?
3: My mom and I just both read a great book called the power of place. What's his name, mom, who wrote it? Daniel Grothy. Daniel, Daniel Grothy. And I thought he hit the nail on the head talking about a culture, the culture of impermanence that we're living in now. Most of my friends don't live in the same city as their family or the same city that they were born in. Um, People are moving all over now and usually for jobs or whatever it is that takes them away and, and moving with regularity. I mean, this will be my fourth move in the last decade. With my husband's work and my work and all of that. So I think that that has helped. And then that combined with, I think, social media as kind of this false sense of community that we can engage in kind of easily from home, but doesn't actually require much vulnerability. um, I think those two factors I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not a social scientist, but to me, in my life, I think those two factors are the things that have been the biggest contributor to loneliness and that I'm seeing in my friends' lives as well, is that they found themselves in a new city where they have no network and yeah. um, and they have the internet as a sort of solve, but not an actual, um, the, not actual meeting, the, actually meeting the need that we all have for community.
1: Got it. Uh, Nancy, another thing, uh, speaking community as well, too, that you talked about investing into the youth. You Both of you guys were very, very passionate about investing in the youth. Why, Why is that so important for you, Nancy?
2: Well, every study that Barna and other groups do show that the majority of people who ever come to faith do so before the age of 18. Now, if that's true, then I think churches need to really pay attention to the little ones. And uh, I came to faith at seven years old. Samantha was even younger than that. Um, There's something very uh, precious about a little person understanding that God loves them and learning uh, early on that there's also a group of people, the family of God that want them to be a part of of their family. Um, So we believe that churches should really have an intentional focus on their youth ministry and their children's ministry.
1: Um, and families, because that's really where it all begins. Now, but Samantha, let me ask you a quick question, because I have this on my notes that I wanted to write, is you highlight some key issues in children's and youth ministry, such as the culture of shame, the unwelcomeness of questions and doubts, and the tendency to put God in a box. Talk to me about those.
3: Well, I just became a parent. So I am wondering, well, I have no answers yet, um, because I'm wondering how do you introduce such a big mystery to a tiny person? Yeah. Um, and those are questions my husband and I are starting to ask. So I don't know. I do know that when when people grow up, you know, the studies show us that most people move away from church and college. That's kind of the yeah. point at which people split. And for me, what I saw with my friends and my what I experienced was that, you know, your world just kind of explodes around that Correct. time. And so if you associate church as a place of exclusionary thinking or um, this is the only way or a place of certainty in a time when you start to ask a lot, a lot of questions and you don't remember church as a place that was comfortable with doubt or with mystery, um then it doesn't feel like a safe place to return to. Yeah. And and if you remember it as a culture of shame, and then you grow up and you make choices in a different direction that you know they would look upon in a certain way, or um, you start to wonder about some of those things. I just think that that the more, the more we can do to not have those be our primary associations with church as young people, um, the better chance we stand of people circling back and finding a home again there someday.
1: Okay, with that said, Nancy, let me just throw it over to you. Then some people who are listening, especially those who grew up with a lot of traditional values, will say, Nancy, we gotta teach our younger people values. These are our convictions. What would you say to that?
2: Well, you know, values are um, centered around what we hold to be true and what we want to you know, most emphasize in our lives. So yes, I do think we want to build around values, but there's much discussion over, okay, what is clear in the Bible that universally all followers of Jesus should hold on to? And what are things that human beings have sort of attached to that? You know, it's pretty much what the Pharisees did, right? They just attached all kinds of stuff to to the faith that wasn't originally intended and weighed people down. And I think we've got to figure out, find our way through to the core of what matters most and then uh, emphasize the freedom that there can be to even disagree on some of the other things. Some of it we
1: will not agree on. And would you say a lot of times both Nancy and uh, uh, Samantha is we haven't taught our people how to dialogue and disagree on issues as well, too. Like, like for instance, one of the things that when I used to do work with college students all the time is I told our elders, I have to get our students to learn how to think. That is my key thing. I'm not going to sit there and tell them what they need to know. I need to help them learn how to think. And sometimes that means don't make the wrong decisions. And that's okay, but I need to see their thought process. But at this church, we want to say, this is how you need to believe. But we don't teach them the skills of how you process through what they need to believe.
3: Right. Or even how to read the Bible. I mean, we we get into disagreements about what the Bible says, which is kind of a hard premise to even start from because you can use the Bible to justify many, many things depending on how you choose to yes. interpret it.
1: Yeah. And Nancy, now, it's one of the things that you guys wrote is you both challenge a church to tell the truth about itself and the past. Talk to me about what that means.
2: Well, uh, you, you don't have to go very far to find that, uh, as Samantha says, her generation is really asking, can the institution of the church even be trusted? And Correct. Correct. we have a history that many of us have not been willing to admit of exclusion and a history of um, shaming and a, a history of saying that everybody's welcome, but they're not really kind of thing. Um and, and that is something we need to own and admit and confess. Um, you know it's it's horrific what's been done in the name of Christ in the in the past. And even if I wasn't physically there, I feel like I represent, you know, a faith that needs to to face up to the ways in which we have have failed people. Um, this is both in terms of the racial divide, in terms of the LGBTQ community, yeah. in terms of women, Um, there are so many ways in which, uh, we have put up barriers and haven't been loving. And I just keep coming back to the fact that Jesus said the primary way people would know that we belong to him, the primary way they would ever be drawn to God is seeing how we love each other. And honestly, we have really uh, become more divisive than ever. It feels to me.
1: Yeah. Samantha how does that look like for instance when you say when we're honest for ourselves when we make amends when we admit some what do you want to see is it more like okay guys on the pulpit where you apologize do you want to see more do you want it to be displayed what were you looking for
3: yeah I think it has to filter through It's it's got to be in the very water what we drink that the team is drinking so that it's coming out every weekend someone a, a friend of color of mine said, you know, there shouldn't just be like an anti-racism weekend every year at your church on Martin Luther King jr weekend. like it should our teaching should be anti-racist all the time, whenever possible. and and I think that's true for these other people groups as well. and um, and so yeah, I mean, this is the way that my husband didn't grow up in the church and and was pretty skeptical but loved God and believed in God but was pretty skeptical of organized faith. And when we came to our church in Austin, the very first weekend, um, the pastor was brave enough to name some of the ways that the church, the Ameri- white American church in particular, has been complicit in perpetuating racism in our country. And him just offering that critique of this very system he was a part of, and there so were all of us, was what made Will feel like it was a church he could trust, because it's, it's self-awareness. We see ourselves clearly. We see our past clearly. And so we're not perfect, but I think really just naming things from the front makes a big difference.
1: Okay. So Nancy, you're a leadership consultant. How then do you help individuals, especially more senior leaders, become more self-aware when they're really not self-aware? It's like the guy who thinks he's a great preacher. Everyone else in the audience knows that he's not very good preacher. But he thinks he's a great preacher. <laughs> oh, that's a
2: great question. I mean, all of us need to grow in our self-awareness and everybody has a blind spot. Wall Street Journal had an article a while back and it said how to know if you're a jerk in the office, you know, because people just just are listlessly unaware of how they're coming across. Um, I think there's a, a spiritual formation piece here that is fundamental. And if we're being formed in Christ and conformed to his image, there's going to be a humility over time that will emerge it's a humility that says, I don't know everything. I haven't figured it all out. It's a humility that's willing to admit mistakes, a humility that's willing to say, you know, this is how I understand the scripture right now, but I'm open to the fact that I may be looking at it, um, from the wrong angle. Um, instead of, uh, this lock it down, everything's in black and white, everything is, you know, structured and rigid. Um, that's not a spirit that I think is going to draw people to, to Christ or to the faith. So I, when I coach people, uh, I'm, I'm gentle, I hope, but I try to hold up a mirror, um, and help them see the truth. Um, because you can't, we, none of us can grow unless we see and admit the truth about ourselves.
1: Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing. Now, Samantha, I'm going to go over to you in the days of social media, right? Uh, publishers these days with Kindle coming out, they're looking for people who have the highest social media uh, uh, followers. Conferences want to sell books. They want to sell tickets. Publishers want to sell tickets. They're looking for social media followers. There's all these workshops on how to create a network. Generations want to be influencers. How do you get people to be authentic? Because there's a temptation to create an image that you have or portrayal of a certain type of person. How do you still become... Like authentic? How do you become genuine? How, what, what would you say?
3: You mean as a pastor or as a church? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's a real dangerous place to be. I mean, I I see the function of it, and I think I think it makes sense for churches to show up on social media. I don't know that in the way we think, in the way we are trained to engage with social media, I don't know that that's a place of great formation happening. Yes.
1: So yeah. so yeah, it yeah. makes
3: me kind of sad to see churches spending too many resources there honestly i don't think it's our distinctive offering um it's everyone's there and it's very loud so (laughs) i I mean yeah people have, have written extensively about like what are some great questions to be asking yourselves as you're showing up online and some of the questions are like what is mine to speak into what is not mine to speak into and i think these are questions each of us probably has our own answers to but you know, it it can take steal a lot of our attention and therefore energy to feel like we have to answer to every single news cycle and thing that comes up um, online. I'm not totally convinced that's a pastor's role. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. And some are doing it very effectively, yeah. very
1: effectively. Nancy, if there's anything that I'm concerned about, it's what you just said. You got to look deep into your heart. There's this whole idea of spiritual formation. But then I also hear the other, let's say a talented pastor. I've heard some people say is, hey, look, God has given me a gift. I got to use this gift to serve the church. And that means I'm going to go on Instagram and share my thoughts. I got to write this book. But then alongside with it, they get so called up in private planes, nice hotels, huge honorariums, huge conferences. And next thing you know, wow, how in the world did I get to this point? Because you started out with just making a difference for the gospel. How do you, and then next thing you know, you're on the documentary. How do you fight this temptation? Or how do you, <laughs> I think yeah. people, the whole thing crumbles and falls apart. And next thing you know, you're reading a book uh, that you and your daughter are writing about how, wow, we got to change this whole thing.
2: Well, much has been written lately. Um, that's been very helpful actually about the celebrity culture. And it's interesting to me that a celebrity culture can be created even in a small church could be a church of a hundred people, but they kind of hold their pastor or their worship leader up to, um, you know, this pedestal kind of thing, Um, see them as somehow other than. And I think anytime um, we start to dance around entitlement and think, you know, I am so gifted and I have to share my gift with the world. And, you know, I also deserve certain kind of treatment, because I'm in a special category, as soon as any of that is lurking in our minds and hearts, there's trouble um, because we've lost our way. We, we've lost our way as servants of the gospel, and we're all capable of it. I'm just as capable of it as anybody else. And so I think social media is connected to that, but also people have been managing their image for a long time. It's just that now we manage it not only on stage, but on social media you know, as well. So what is the answer? Well, again, I sound like a broken record, but people like Ruth Haley Barton and others who write about the soul of our leadership, that is where the focus needs to be. And who you are behind the scenes, who you are when no one's looking, who you are with your family, um, with your closest friends. Um, Do you truly, you know, we throw this word accountability around. And I I think, uh, we have to figure out what does that actually mean? And is there anyone in my life that's asking me the difficult questions? Um, knowing that all of us are capable of even deceiving those people, we could come up with some answer. We could deflect it. You know, Obviously, that's happened a lot in recent years, but, but we still need to pursue it. We still need to try to find a way to be known and to be known in such a way that we can admit it when we're tempted. And that we can and uh, find the help that we need.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you guys two final questions. One, Samantha, and I'll wrap up with Nancy. Samantha, I had a pastor, a former pastor, who walked into my office here and says, Tommy, how do you still have hope? It's full of hypocrites. I've given up on the church. I've quit. I, I'm giving all my books away. I'm just done with it. It's like Zacchaeus who climbs up a tree, had to. all these guys were criticizing. He had to look beyond those guys to see Jesus. In the far off distance, what's your word of advice to this pastor? What keeps mm. you hope? What gives you hope?
3: Well, my hope is in is in God first of all, and and that um, that we're in a moment that has been really difficult for the church, but that um, that we worship a God who's um, seen us through many moments, seen our people through many moments like this. But also, my hope is in how I think distinctive what church really is when you pare it down. Um, And I had a conversation with my husband's stepdad the other day about church. And I said, I mean, Steve, where else do you go in your life to gather with other people to learn to be more loving? And he paused and was like, there really isn't anything else like that. And I think we want that. And I see it in so many of my friends, especially as, as our exposure to injustice has increased with Um, social media and the news being on all the time and available all the time. Um, We want a place where our hearts are being transformed and where we're helping to transform our communities. And um, we just want it to be big enough and wide enough to include and embrace everyone. And so I, I really have a lot of hope for the church if it can stay true to its calling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nancy, for you, start off talking about the book. You sat there and met with a bunch of different publishers about the future church. Where do you think we will end up? will look a lot differently five years from now or two, three years from now on.
2: Yeah, um, I think it will look somewhat different, but I also, the reason I have hope is because of young leaders like Samantha and so many others that I have come across in the last several years who genuinely do love Jesus and who are doing the best they can to create communities of love and, and faith. And I think as long as people have that desire, as long as they're willing to humbly surrender their gifts and say, let's just try to figure this out together, that gives me great hope because there truly is nothing else like it. So let's do the best we can. No church is perfect. And um, yet it really is, as I often say, it's God's plan A for reconciling the world to himself. Um, It's very clear in second Corinthians that this is, this is his plan. And I don't know what plan B is, but. Uh, You know, we've messed it up quite a bit, but we can we can do better. And I think if every week we just say, how can we make the church a little more beautiful, a little more loving, um, a little more joyful, a little more just. If if we keep pursuing that, um, it'll get better week by week.
1: Okay, so you set yourself up for this question. Do you think it will still be done in a big church setting or do you see fractions of smaller churches beginning to be developed?
2: You know, I think there's still a place for bigger churches. There's some things large churches can do um, with their resources and with a wide variety of kinds of people in them that maybe a smaller church cannot do. But I think there will also be a movement towards these smaller gatherings, even to house churches yeah. and uh, smaller gatherings, because I think that there is that longing to just be across the table from someone and
1: and connect. Yeah. And so I think that that probably will be the trend. Wonderful. Uh, Samantha, enjoy your time over at Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm sure we're going to talk again soon. Thank you. Nancy, it's always good seeing you. You too, Tommy. Thanks so much. All right. Talk soon, everyone.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Grow Center's Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast. To stay connected, make sure you subscribe to the Grow Center channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. We would love for you to follow along with The Grow Center on Instagram and Facebook at Gross Center Network and our website at www.thegrowcenter.com. See you next time.